Well, we are going to continue uh, our series that we started a few weeks back. We're calling Running the Race. And uh, we've been just camping out on Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. And just been slowly unpacking that. And we're going to continue in that today. And so uh, I'm going to invite you to read along with me once again. Normally, we I just invite you to read from your own Bible. But today, I'm going to put it on screen so we can read together. Let's stand together as we read God's Word from Hebrews chapter 12. Starting at verse 1, all together, out loud, ready, go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Amen. We thank the Lord for his word this morning. I think a few weeks ago, as we were kind of getting to the series, I shared with you the, the story of, of uh, recovering from a serious ankle injury, which five years ago this week, turns out. Um, and, and the way I kind of motiv- my, motivated myself to, to get better was by training to run a, a 10K uh, race. Now, you know, to some of you, that's no big deal. But to me at the time, it was, it was like a challenge. It was something I wanted to achieve. And I, I wasn't fast, I will admit that. When I ran, I was not fast, but I finished. And, and, and not only did I finish, I got the bronze medal in my age category. And there were three people in my age category. So, don't take that lightly. It's kind of a big deal. It's almost like millennials. I promise not to make any jokes about millennials, but we did this. My generation, Gen X, we did this, and we started giving trophies too much for everything. But I felt how I realized how good it feels to get that. Anyway, I remember running, and on that last stretch of the track, I was just out of gas. I was exhausted. I was tired, and I had just one goal: just to get across that finish line. Just, just get to the end of that track. And get and and try to shave off at least one more second of your time. Like just run for that line, get your eyes on that line, and go for it. That was my intent, singular focus at that moment, and uh, it's what kept me going. And those of you who've run marathons or triathlons, and so like you understand that that like you you just you're going to get to that end. Well, we want to focus a bit on that. The verses I want to the kind of the little phrase or passage I want to focus on is out of verse 1 and 2. It says this, Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Here's the remarkable paradox of the Christian life, and we'll come back to this again at the end, that, that it's all God's grace. It's all God's doing. It's everything that God has done. Right? Paul confirms it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. He says this, God saved you by His grace. God did it. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. We can't boast about it. We can't say, well, I did this. It's all God. God starts it. 
God finished it. Jesus is the initiator and the finisher of our faith. It's a remarkable thing. It's all he is doing. And yet, we are called to run with endurance. It's a marvelous contradiction, isn't it? That that we endure, but we do it in his strength. We run, but but he starts and finishes the race within us. And, and, And the believer who can grasp and live with that apparent paradox of, it's all Jesus, but I endure, and he does it, but I run... That's the person that's going to thrive in your faith. And there's three kind of key thoughts out of this passage that I that I want us to, we're just going to kind of unpack a little bit this morning. Three things, that we run with endurance, the race set before us with a motivating focal point. We run with endurance, a race that's set out before us or marked out for us with a motivating focal point, which is Jesus. And so we're going to unpack those actually in reverse order. We'll start with three and then, and then go up. And I, I do want to thank, um, a writer, a guy wrote a bunch in the early to mid 20th century. He was a pastor and author. His name was A.W. A. Tozer. And, uh, something he wrote on this was kind of really helped me think about this kind of vision, seeing quite a bit. You can ask me about that some other time. I can recommend that book. But in the, in this race of the spiritual life, like on a racetrack or like that 10K that I run, right? We fix our eyes on the finish line. Well, what's the finish line? The finish line is Jesus. Well, what I mean by that, that sounds kind of vague, like that's the Sunday school answer, right? Whatever it is, the answer must be Jesus. Well, I I mean that in the sense of a life of total trust and total dependence on Jesus. So Jesus becomes the motivating focus. Now, we communicate with a lot with our eyes, right? Both physically, but also we like that kind of internal vision, that internal sight, right? To to fix our eyes on something means that's that's something that we put our trust in, we put our faith in that. We it's the object of our affection, and it, it, it could be kind of simple and and innocent, something like you know I really boy I've got my eyes on that new uh, Ford F one fifty, right? I mean I wouldn't. Look at a Ford. It would be a Chevy. But anyway, that's my, you know, the, the point is, right? Or, or, or some, you know, some young people like, I've got my eye on that girl or I've got my eye on that guy in my class. Like, I get, I know what you mean. It doesn't mean you're like staring at it all the time. But it's just like, it's the object of your intent or affection. But it can easily go much beyond that. It can actually go to the point of idolatry where it becomes like a false source of hope. It becomes, it becomes your faith. Like, well, when I get my education together, then, then it's gonna be alright. Then I'll, then I'll have my life together. Or, you know, if only I was married, then, then I'd be okay. Or, if only I wasn't married, then I, don't, don't go there, right? Right? Uh, if only I could buy that new car, or that new house, or that new RV, or that new, those new clothes, or the new computer, whatever that, that item is, that object, and we just think, if only I had that, then, then my life would be good. It's, it becomes that object of, of your affection. It's, it's an idol. It becomes a thing that's the most important in your life. We've got our eyes on that. Keeping your eyes on something like that is, like I said, kind of an, becomes an idol. The destination of your faith. But to look 
Let's go to that next slide, Johnny. I want to read this right on screen. To look at Jesus is to put your faith in Jesus. And to put your faith in Jesus is to see him. That's the same, it's the same concept. Faith is looking at Jesus. Faith is the, Hebrews 11 one says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. To see is to have faith. To, to have faith is to see what you can't see. And so this, this writer of Hebrews is, is inviting us to meditate, to chew on, to, to ponder on Jesus in his word. I mean, it's our eyes that get us into trouble, isn't it? It's our eyes that lead us into sin, whether it's, whether it's looking at something on the computer screen or, or, or looking at that new home appliance you just gotta have. Right? You ever, you ever walk down the, 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 the aisle in Lowe's and you look, if only I had that fridge with three things, three drawers on it, then my life would be perfect, right? It's always our eyes that get us into trouble. Instead, we're, we're invited to gaze on, to meditate on Jesus in His Word, to turn our inner eyes to Him. This is, you know, this is one of the reasons why I'm, I have often cautioned you or warned you about Eastern practices, Eastern kind of meditation style practices or, 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 or Eastern practices that teach you to, to gaze within yourself, to find your center, to, to look within. Because it's effectively turning away from Jesus and saying, I've got the resources. I can do it. When your heart is untrustworthy, it's, it's corrupted and you're turning within. It's an, it's actually a teaching of anti-Christ. Putting your faith in yourself instead of in Jesus. We used to sing an old song years ago, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. What we look at, what we gaze at, as we gaze more intently, things fall away for better or for worse. I've got a couple examples out of the book of Psalms. Psalm 34, verses 4 and 5. It goes this way. He says, I prayed to the Lord and He answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Some of you this morning, you're just you bound up in anxiety and you need deliverance. You need freedom from those fears that keep swirling around in your life. And part of it is intentionally, deliberately, uh, in an ongoing, uh, committed way to get your eyes on Jesus. Because it says, those who look to Him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. Have you ever met someone who's who's really growing in their faith and you're like, man, you look different. There's something about you. You look different. Like the, the countenance brightens up. That's exactly this. Those who look to help for help will be radiant with joy. And I don't mean to suggest that that there aren't ways, practical ways we can get help. Uh, you know, from medication, eat right and exercise, all those things. But it starts with Getting my eyes on Jesus. He freed me. He delivered me. Or Psalm 123, verses 1 and 2 says, I lift my eyes to you, O God. I lift my eyes. Enthroned in heaven. We keep looking to the Lord, our God, for His mercy. Just as servants keep their eyes on their master, as a slave girl watches her mistress for the slightest signal. So, I mean, you might feel like, wait, we're talking about slavery? No, we're not talking about slavery. We're talking about in that context of a, of a, of a, of a, of a, of a kingdom and a, and a palace and the, and the, and the king or the, 
or, or the or the queen is able to just with a turn of their hand give in, give instruction and the, the servant jumps up and takes care of it. That's because they're watching, watching, watching. They're intently watching their master. What direction do I need to do? What what, what instructions am I going to receive just from the eyes? Sometimes, you know, my wife and I are good at this. I can just give her, she, well, actually, she can give me a look and I know exactly what it means, right? We, we, you can communicate with your eyes. She might be giving me one right now. I don't know. Like, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, our eyes are, there's so much going on there. And we lift up and we look from an inner place to Jesus. And that's the place of joy, the place of hope, source of healing, even physically. And there's a there's a great example of this. Matthew chapter 19 is one of the places where it records the uh, what we call the feeding of the 5,000. There's a great, huge crowd of people and uh, they've got no food. Jesus is teaching and he says to the disciples, hey, you should feed them. They're like, we don't got no food. And um, but we got a little guy here. He's got a little lunch and he's willing to share it. And so he brings his five loaves and his two fish and and Jesus takes it. And he what does he do? He lifts it up to heaven and it says he looks to heaven and he gives thanks to God. As he prays, why would Jesus need to do that? Because it's a it's a sometimes physically casting our faith upward. And I know we teach kids, little children, we teach them to fold their hands and close their eyes when we're praying and there's good reason for that we're trying to help them not be distracting to their neighbors to be distracted as an adult it's a little problem you know if i close my eyes and do that you know there's lots of other things i'm seeing i'm seeing the to-do list i'm seeing the all these other things and so i wonder sometimes if we shouldn't do what jesus did physically to lift our eyes to look up it's an indication of our faith to see is to have faith and it doesn't just happen. Faith doesn't just happen. It's there's some deliberate engagement with us. It's intentional. I you remember that WWJD craze, right? The bracelets, the bumper stickers, the T-shirts, the bookmarks, the WWJD Bibles, the WWG mugs, and oh, anyway, you know what I mean, right? It was probably overdone a little, and maybe it was a little simplistic. But there's something about keeping that question in front of you that was part of fixing your eyes on Jesus. It's not a bad thing to say, Jesus, what would you do in this situation? Or what would you have me do in this particular situation? It's about putting our eyes up to Jesus. My question is, is Jesus your focus today, tomorrow, when you go back to work or go on your vacation? Do you bring your plans and your ideas to him? Are you... Are you developing, I, I love Paige, how you talked about developing this, this biblical worldview, this Jesus worldview in your life. Do you look to Him to direct your recreation and your friendships and your, your spending and your work decisions? Are you turning the gaze of your soul to Jesus, keeping your eyes on Him? That's how we run that race. That's where the endurance comes from that we're going to get to in a Couple minutes. Secondly, the thing that's happening is here is that we're on a race course that's set for us, right? And it's a race marked out for us. And what's it marked out with? It's marked out with this. Love God, love people, make disciples. That's what Jesus, that's kind of the summary of what Jesus taught us to do. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love people. Yeah, love one another. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. 
Love God. Love people. Make disciples. That's the track. And in that order even. That's how it's laid out in the New Testament for us. Making disciples is a way of saying, Jesus, you are the only way for salvation. You're not a way. You're not just a good idea. You're not just kind of an example to follow. You are the way of salvation for us. The only way for forgiveness of sin and new life for eternity. And there's a temptation, I I think, for any of us to turn to a, a spiritual leader in our life, to turn to a pastor and say, look, you do the Jesus stuff. You do the Bible stuff. You do the prayer stuff. You you can be the one to lift your hands and worship. I'm just going to, I'm not really worthy of all that and I'm kind of too busy and I don't really understand enough. So I'm going to kind of hold back and, and you, leader, you do that for me on my behalf. You can be all fanatical and discipling and all that. It's like we're saying, we want to do the comfortable parts to feel good and then we don't really want to be a bother to anybody. It's sort of like designing our own spiritual journey. And I think that the problem is that we've we've way outsized what we're talking about here. You know, Paige, you're going to be involved. I'm going to excuse you a few times because you were up here, so <laughs> that's what happens, right? Paige told us she's going to be leading this small group of women. Now, if we said, oh, Paige, you're going to disciple a generation of, of women around you. And she'd be like, oh, uh, no, I'm not. I'm leading a small group. That's it. Yeah, that's exactly what she's doing. Of those few, she's going to be there as a mentor and a guide for her. And it's not that she's an expert. It's not that you have all the answers. In fact, the reason you're doing it is because you exactly don't have all the answers. But that's the kind of thing we're talking about. And I think we oversize it and, and we scare ourselves you know, out of it. And so if we just say, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just going to do the easy parts. I'm just, I, I, I'm just going to do the parts that are comfortable or that work for me. All, all we're doing there, we're saying, Jesus, you're not really the Lord of my life. You're sort of my, you're my accessory. Like, kind of I'll add you on as it, as it works. It's like saying Jesus is your handyman and, and you call him when you need a fix it job in your life. But the rest of the time, you just kind of go on, do your own thing. In pressure, an accessory is the first thing to go. And, and I think we need to just really grasp that to follow Jesus isn't, doesn't work that way. It's, it's not our own design. Imagine this. Let's go back to the racetrack metaphor. Let's say you go to a track meet and, uh, at the, uh, at the 400 meter event, the, uh, the race officials, the runners are all there on the line. The race officials just say, Oh, by the way, to run this race, you don't actually have to go on the track. Like, there's the finish line of just do whatever you need to do to get to the finish line. Because I know for some of you this is really hard. So just do whatever works. So the gun goes off and the first one says, no, I'm going to do it right. I'm goes down the track and the next one says, well, the track, I don't really how, like how the track feels on my feet. So I'm just going to run on the grass part. And someone else says, well, it's kind of 400 meters. I'll like, that's 400 meters. I'll just kind of cross the field, do a little shortcut. And then someone else says, I'm not feeling it today. And they just jump on someone else's back to get a piggyback ride for the race. You know, and you're in the stands, you're thinking, what is going on down there? 
well, you know, we just didn't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable with, with all these rules and regulations. You've got to stay on the track and wait till the gun goes off and you've got to actually cross the finish line. It's, it, was, it was just too oppressive that way. It's ridiculous, right? It's totally silly. If I'm going to run the race, I'm going to run on the track that's been marked out for me. Love God, love people, make disciples. That's the track. Well, how? How do you do that? Well, that's, that's how we get our entire life to work out. Love is expressed in our words, our deeds, our attitudes, our actions, how we interact with people, what we invest in, what we make a priority in our lives. To love God means, and, and to love others means that sometimes I'm going to have to say no to something here so I can say yes to Jesus. I might have to deny myself, Jesus used those words, over here so I can say yes and follow Him over here. You, you think about it in any relationship, like in a marriage relationship, you show love by serving one another and spending time together and being there for one another. Now when it's done just out of duty, it's not really love, but when it's done out of a decision, it is. And that's part of this running this track, running this race. Jesus, I'm, I'm deciding to follow the course you've marked out for me. And then making disciples. Jesus, you know, commanded us to do this. He, he said we can do that, that, that we would lead others to, to look to him using our eyes again and to, to grow up and mature in trusting him, to be obedient to him, starting with Baptism, at least that's what Jesus said. He said in Matthew 20, he said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. How? Baptize them and teach them to follow. We like the teaching part. Sometimes you're not sure about the baptizing part. Uh, the following part's hard. We, we baptize. We're actually going to have a baptism here on the same day as Food Truck Sunday, August 11th. And uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, but you've never been baptized on confession of your faith, just invite you and challenge you to do that. Sometimes I, I've baptized folks who are a bit older and they've, they've just said, ah, I remember I, I had a, you know, you're just like, ah, I should have done this long ago and now I'm kind of embarrassed. That's okay. It's never the wrong time to do the right thing. Right? I remember one, one person I talked to, she said, you know, my kids have already been baptized and I just feel like I missed that opportunity. I'm, I'm just not going to, it's just too embarrassing. I'm just not going to do it. You know, just, I just watched her just, just holding back from that first step of obedience with Jesus. And it's just like nothing else seemed to like follow through after that. I'm just challenging you. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's no good reason not to be baptized. So talk to one of us. We'd love to help you with that. So there's a, a racetrack, but it's not our own design on that racetrack. It's one that's marked out for us. Love God, love people, make disciples. And I just wonder, are you on the right track? And then finally, we're called to run with endurance. Run with endurance. And I think this is the most challenging part of this command, this instruction, because Jesus makes the race possible, like we talked about at the beginning. He's also the finish line. Right? He initiates and He perfects. He begins and He completes the spiritual life in us. We're saved by His grace, and yet, and, and we run by His grace, and yet it's on us to actually do that. And so, 
if God's doing all that work, what's my part? My part is to run with endurance. I would expect to see some maturing in my life, some some growing up to happen in my life. We've talked about this a number of times. Endurance is only necessary when there's a bit of a challenge. So this this past week uh, on our day off, Becky and I uh, went for a hike. We haven't been doing really any hiking this year, so we both knew we were not really, really prepared for this, not really ready. And and I saw that it was an eight-mile hike. I, I didn't remember it being that long. I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's like a two-hour drive there. So we did the drive. Great road, Kings Canyon. Just one of the greatest highways. And it's like, and we're just like, okay, well, we don't have to do the whole thing. We'll just go, you know, as far as we feel like we can do. And then we'll just turn around and come back. And um, we, we made it all the way to the falls. And then you got to turn around and come back. And uh, the first part of that trail is like really soft sand. And it's just, so there's a mile left and we're just plodding through the sand. You know how you lose traction when you're in soft sand? You feel like you're not making good progress. And I just thought, you just need to send a shuttle out. About the, about the mile mark, the three-quarter mile mark, just send a golf cart out to pick people up like me. I don't want to go the rest of the way. My, I wore the wrong shoes. My feet were killing me. It was hot. I was just like, I don't want to endure to the end. But I had to because she refused to carry me. <laughs> right? Look, you only have to endure when it's a bit hard. If it was easy, there'd be no need for endurance. And you make it to the end and you say, we did it. We did it. We follow Jesus to the end. So enduring means we can expect to see some progress in our lives, some growing in our lives, such as you know, seeing greater evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I would expect to see that growing in my life. To see greater evidence of of generosity in my life, not holding back more and more, but looking for ways to give more and more. To see greater evidence of of a love for others, regardless of their lifestyle, regardless of their status or preferences. I'd expect if I'm growing and enduring that I'd be calm when things aren't going my way. When I'm stuck in traffic or... Other things aren't happening the way I expect them to. I'd, I'd expect to be able to resolve conflict in godly honoring ways. If I'm growing in endurance, I'd expect to be developing good spiritual habits. Things like learning to read the Bible. Learning to pray. Being here like you are this morning. I'd expect good spiritual habits to develop and form in my life. In fact, we're going to spend next month kind of unpacking more of those. I think the worst thing we can do is take a passive approach to the race. To take a passive approach. Just that sort of, I'll just kind of go with the flow. I I mean, I'm in it, but someone else can do the hard stuff. Someone else can do the Jesus stuff, the Bible stuff. Someone else can do the praying. Kurt, you endured this week. You did a good job leading us this morning. Appreciate that. 
But you didn't just plug in the piano the first time when you walked up this morning. You practiced. And before that, you practiced and went to school and developed all that. It didn't just happen overnight. Some people say, man, I wish I could play like you play. And I've thought that. But I didn't, haven't put the time and the energy, the effort, and the hours that you put in. It's endurance. It's endurance. It's carrying on. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's boring. Sometimes it's just not feeling it. Those of you who train athletically, or those of you committing to a new diet, maybe you're doing keto, or you're doing vegan, or you're doing intermittent fasting, or doing one of these things, you're just like, I don't know if this is worth it. It's just like, Plodding along some days, and other days you're like, this is amazing. This is awesome. I love this. I, I have a habit, pretty pretty faithful habit of, of reading my Bible, doing my devotions in the morning. It's not amazing every day. I assure you, it's not amazing every day. There's lots of days, it's just a discipline. But it's a good habit, and you know what it's doing? It produces fruit. And there's lots of good days, too. There's lots of nuggets that I get, but it's that ongoing, enduring, following Jesus. And endurance can be really lonely, too. You're, you're here this morning, but, but you've got a friend that you just, you know they're sleeping in this morning. <laughs> they said they were gonna be here, and they're like, ah, I'm sorry, I just wasn't feeling it. You're like, I'm here by myself. Some of you are, are in a relationship, a marriage relationship, where you and your spouse aren't aren't on the same page spiritually. It's, a, it's lonely for you. you say, is it worth it, God? Do I really have to keep doing this? Yeah. The reward's coming. Enduring to the end. Some of you have suffered a something that was painful or a loss in your life. And you just think, I, I don't know if God's really going to Heal that wound in my heart. You're grieving. You've lost a loved one. You say, God, are you gonna, are you gonna meet me there at that place of my need? You will. Keep enduring. Keep running that race. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. We run with endurance. But the good news, it's all God's grace. It's all God's grace. We still gotta run. I want to invite the worship team to come. We're going to sing one more song together. I just want you to know that it's in that consistent, persistent, eyes on Jesus approach that gets the race finished well. You're not at the end of your race. There's a little saying. I I wish I could remember. Some of you are going to tell me where I I heard it. I know I picked it up in a movie somewhere. It's, It's all going to, maybe it was in, I can't remember. Maybe it was in the Marigold Hotel. It's all going to be okay in the end. If it's not all okay, it's not the end. (laughs) When you run with endurance, you run with perseverance. Jesus will meet you at that finish line. Next week, we're going to talk about the prize. This morning, I want you to... I just want you to say, yes, I will run this race with endurance. This race that's marked out for me with my eyes... Fix on Jesus.
Let's pray. God, we're, we're grateful for your word. I love how it pokes and prods and peels away the layers of our heart. Pushes us to look at our motivations and our attitudes and commitments that we've made and abandoned and made again. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are the beginner and the finisher of this race in our life. And so we're trusting in you. And yet somehow in your strength, you invite us to run this race. Not because we're good, but because you're good. Not because we have the answers, but you have the answers. And so we just say, Jesus, would you empower us for another day to run this race by your grace? And church, for those of you right now, you you think about this loving God and loving people and making disciples and something in there is uncomfortable for you. There's maybe some relationships that are you've been ignoring or haven't dealt with and you need to. Can I just invite you to just ask Jesus to help you do what you need to do? And if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, this is all new to you, I just would challenge you to talk to the person you came with today or talk to one of us. We'd love to help you begin that race of saying, Jesus, I trust you to forgive my sin, to make me a new person, and to be the Lord and leader of my life. God, we want to do this with joy, and we're going to talk about that next week. We look forward to the prize to come. We give you our praise in your name. Amen. Amen.